This is Strength to Strength Books, and we welcome you back here for another author interview. Today we have Brother Gary Miller joining us from Caldwell, Idaho, and we're going to be interviewing him on his most recent book titled Sidetracted, How Power and Politics Distract Us from Our Mission. And we'll be um, this book will be up on our website at strengththestrength.org, uh, selling it there. Uh, or you can also, if you don't have access to the internet, you can email us at contact at strengththestrength.org. Brother Gary, it is good to have you with us this morning. Thank you for joining us um, and being willing to talk about um, this book with us. So first question is, why did you write this book? And and maybe even deeper than that, yeah, what, what motivated you uh, to write this book? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, writing a book takes a long time. It's a lot of work, so there obviously is some motivation. Um, I would say, you know, in my own life, there's always been a certain fascination with politics. Um, even with the Anabaptists in general, I think there's always been a, a fascination. I remember growing up, I'd hear people joke that uh, we don't vote, but we pray Republican. And, and so there was kind of an underlying uh, interest. But during the past few years, and I would say especially during the the past few presidential races, there's been an increase that I've sensed, a new intensity. Um, the uh, American, let's just call it the evangelical movement, the almost become a political machine of political activism. And I find myself drawn into that, uh, the news, and, and find myself taking sides even, even though theologically I know that, yeah, I probably shouldn't be in that interested in it. I still find myself drawn in. And I also, I think, uh, have sensed uh, in myself and in others a some ideas that are rooted in the belief that the solution to our world's problems are actually found in Washington, D.C. If somehow we could get the right president in there, uh, somehow we could uh, get the, the best Supreme Court nominee or, or get laws based on biblical principles, uh, somehow that would take care of our problems. And, and there's many problems. We're all surrounded by just major issues in our world uh, that, that are very concerning. Uh, we, see, we see our culture getting darker in many ways. In the middle of this, the, the larger evangelical church has become this massive, well-funded political machine. And so as we interact with other believers out there, other Christians, uh, we can begin to wonder, are we missing out? Are we somehow... Uh, not doing what we should do even. Um, mm. And the whole thing of, of who's elected becomes very important to us. And so we get drawn into, uh, we see emails, requests for prayer and funding and and uh, send a letter to congressional leaders. And behind all this, again, is this assumption that that somehow this is the answer to our, to our problems. Um, and in the middle of this, in the middle, as we watch this, I'll call it a Christian, Christian nationalistic push to make our world better. I think it's easy for us to forget why we're here, what our actual purpose is, what followers of Jesus are to be doing. And in short, uh, my concern is, and the motivation for this book is, uh, all of us tend to become distracted by by the the lure of earthly power. And I get a sense in myself and in others that we're forgetting many times our primary role and purpose. And we're getting sidetracked from our from our primary mission. Yeah, so so true, um, Gary. Just this morning, I was in our team huddle at our cafe. We have a fifteen minute team huddle every morning there before the start of the day, and we were going around. A couple of prayer requests were given, and uh, one of the young men who who's a part of a conservative Mennonite church. Um, mentioned how his cousin uh, who grew up in a conservative night church um, is being deployed like this week to the horn of africa and um, he's you know, he's joined the military and he's probably be involved in actual combat and so they were together um, over the holidays here with him and and I, I could see this young man kind of wrestling with this tension in his mind like how do we how does he relate to this cousin of his and 
do we pray for him? And so afterwards, we, I, of course, this book was in my mind, right? I just, <laughs> um, and so I, I pulled up beside him there and we, t- we talked about it. And, and, um, you know, it's just, how do we relate? And this, this young man who's being deployed considers himself a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, you know, he's, but he just, he really, in many ways, despises the Anabaptists, um, the non resistance, um, and who kind of who we are. And, Anyhow, it was, it was just a such a just palpable um, um, sense that I could feel there with this young man, and how do we think about these things? And also, kind of the maybe even the, um, the the sense of like a purpose of his cousin being deployed into a place where I'm sure the radical jihad uh, has been spreading in the Horn of Africa, and he's going to be you know physically combating this evil. You know, and so it, it, these kind of things draw us in. Um, and so it was just a, it was such a case in point, you know, kind of as I was, had, you know, been reading this last week or two. And of course, you know, we're moving into 2024. Um, we are in 2024. This is, uh, January 2nd. And, and we all know, uh, and anybody in the U.S., um, and even probably globally, uh, who's connected with, with the political world understands that the U.S. is moving into a really tough political scene um, here in the U.S. And so everyone wants our allegiance, wants us to bind their narrative. So yeah, thank you for for sharing that. Um, and maybe a question for you is, you know, your, like your subtitle says, how power and politics distract us from our, from our mission. And and power, you know, the word power in there, and power is the word power is going to fall on bad times in many ways. Um, how how is that uh, from a Christian perspective, or what what is wrong with that idea of power? Yeah, good question again. Uh, obviously, there's nothing wrong with power. That's one of God's attributes, um, and maybe that's neither worded correctly. It really should be earthly power. But Jesus said this in Matthew 28, he said, all power is given to be in heaven and earth. And I think that's a statement that we don't think about enough with regard to this whole question of how do we interact with earthly governments. Just think for a minute that, that Jesus had power to do whatever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted when he came. And I think we should ask ourselves, what would we do right now, right here in America, if all power was suddenly given to me? If I had all power, if I could do whatever I wanted, what would I do? And would that, would I start with Washington, D.C.? Uh, would it be a stronger military presence around the world? Uh, would I put the right people in Supreme Court as a nominee? Would I make sure perfect laws are passed if I had all power? Would I punish would I punish corporations that don't operate quite like a Christian business? What would I do if I had all power? Now, I've, I've wrestled with that different times in my life. What, what would I do if suddenly I was given all power? But I think it's important to go back and look at what Jesus did when he had all power. He had, he had the power to call 12 legions of angels. So he could have destroyed Rome, uh, but he didn't do that for some reason. Now, he had enough power to stop storms. So like a Roman army would have been would have been nothing. Uh, he could read people's minds. It's like every battle commander's dream is to be able to read people's minds. Uh, he could have traveled to Rome and, and shown Caesar some really good miracles. Uh, <laughs> but when Herod asked him for a miracle, he refused. And we have to ask why. Uh, when the multitudes wanted to make him king, that's a, that's a political dream. But Jesus left the area and headed up into the mountains alone. So Jesus repeatedly refused to use earthly power to bring about his kingdom. Uh, he obviously did not want a kingdom that operated like other kingdoms uh, based on force and coercion and violence. He didn't want that. In fact, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, and if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And so Jesus demonstrated power in a different way, not by fighting uh, the soldiers at the cross, but by forgiving them. And we're following his steps, so it's not power we're opposed to. It is the earthly use or the earthly way, the top-down approach, uh, use of power to bring about transformation that, that Jesus didn't do and, and we're not called to do either. Hmm. That makes me think of uh, a quote on page 99 of the book. 
that was startling to me in a way because I have a clear two kingdom perspective, I believe, um, in the area of politics. To me, it seems fairly clear. But then to read this, he walked around an insignificant geographical region teaching uneducated commoners. I realized that I probably still had need an overhaul in my thinking to think about how Christ influenced the world and what ways he chose to influence the world because power is seductive and where there's a lot of noise and commotion and, and the appearance of power, I think, because the question came to me is, is why is this so, so seductive to a Christian? Um, because we want to see change and where there's power, we're, we're drawn to it. Um, that was a bit of a gut check for me to consider how Christ brought about change in the society he was in. And, and maybe to build on what you're, you're saying there, Sam, or possibly to play the devil's advocate, First <laughs> um, Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, so we're there is a power for the Christian, and and brother Gary, I think you were you were touching on that, um, but maybe just digging that a little bit deeper. You, you definitely get into the book, especially towards the end of the book. But but what is a biblical power? What is a Jesus power that we in the twenty first century Christianity might have? Well, it's it's obviously it's a spiritual power. It's prayer, but it's more than that. It is a it's a public demonstration. It is it's showing something that is different. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is calling us to is is an actual public demonstration of something that is is very different than than what we're seeing around us. And Jesus didn't come with a top down approach. He came working within the individual, and uh, and that's a that's a grassroots kingdom that that comes out of um very different approach i think in uh studying for a talk i gave recently about masculinity it became clear that the power that christ acted on even though you mentioned earlier that he had the ability to call twelve thousand or uh, 12 legions of angels um he had the ability to do all of these things and he didn't, it became clear to me that he acted on the power or authority that God had given him. And so many times we want to act on some power that we feel like we have. And there's a subtle difference there in whether it's it's an authority that has been given us or an authority that we have claimed for our own. And it seems like to move into the political realm, we would like to move on a position of power or authority that we claim instead of a power and authority that has been given to us. And I think that's a, a significant difference to keep in mind. And, and so maybe this leads us right into uh, the next question for you, Gary, uh, as I thought about um, interviewing here you here this morning. And is it your ultimate goal? Is your ultimate goal of sidetracked to get less Anabaptist or kingdom people voting this year, what is that your ultimate goal? I don't see. I mean, on the back of the book, on the back of the book, you have you know, there's a vote here sign. So is is that like, is that your is that is that the enemy that you're 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 attacking here? No, I I don't see voting as our biggest problem. I, I would see voting as a symptom of a, of a greater problem. Um, it's a problem of, of having lost sight of what God is doing in our world. I think we become disillusioned, maybe even discouraged with God's way. It's a slow process sometimes. And, and, um, I think I addressed it in there as the speed of a seed, maybe of, of God uses things that in our, from our perspective, work way too slow. The sacrificial love is that way. It's a way to, to, to change things, but not at the speed we would like. And so we tend to revert back to where we become disillusioned. We begin, we we tend to revert back to the world's way of stopping evil and and bringing change. That's what I see as 
as the major problem, and then voting then is a symptom of that problem. Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I can, I can resonate or understand uh, the draw of voting. Like it's, it, it's, it's very, it's a very tangible thing that we can do. Um, and I also understand, like you begin, you begin your book talking about your conversation that you had with a conservative Mennonite minister. And how somebody in your group directly asked him, "Did you vote?" Uh, and and he had to hang his head and said, "Yes, he actually had." Um, and so sometimes I think, uh, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, in the world, we're kind of maybe in the, yeah, I, I think it's it's in the world in uh, in conservative Christianity. There's, there's like two things you don't talk about, you know, is 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 voting in politics or voting in in religion or something like that, or uh, maybe kind of in the in in, in the U.S. general ethos um because it's controversial um but you know we're um when when we begin to understand kind of some of these implications of of, of when we be, are drawn into these things and how it can affect us it's like leaven in the loaf right um it just it affects so much of how we operate and and your goal as i as i read the book here is not um to make you know that's not your main enemy you're it's one of them maybe but you're painting a lot bigger picture and could you communicate that for us um because these things are so hard at times because they're spiritual realities and it can be so difficult to communicate that um and, and i think so many times uh as as kingdom christians or anabaptist christians we lose we so quickly lose that 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 ability to uh, to communicate why the why is what I'm trying to get at the why and so sh- share that with us a little bit if you would, uh, Gary. Um, well, I think the you've you've touched on a very excellent point is is that we do lose the the beauty of what of what God is wanting to do, and. And we, we end up then, even in our terminology sometimes, creating a problem. So we talk about non-resistance as though non being we It's the things we don't do. Sure. Uh, but Jesus called us to much more than just non-resistance. He mm-hmm. called us acti- to be actively involved. Uh, we're actually to love our enemies. We're to be on the offensive, over overwhelming uh, evil with good. We're, we're, we're called to that. But we tend over time to view ourselves as as non people. We're we're passive. We we don't do anything. We just we have a list of things we don't do, and so then because within us the spirit of God is causing us to want change in our world, we don't know what to do with this thing. We don't do anything, and yet we're supposed to be developing change. So we end up with this dichotomy within. We're not sure what to do, and I think the reason is we focus so much on what we don't do. And not enough on what we are to be doing daily in our lives, in our communities, in our world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you um, took us from you know showing where it leads to be in, to go down the road of politics or to be seduced by this to painting a picture of what are your options. And I think that that's a message that really needs to go out um, to Christianity is. We have other options, and so many times, even in a discussion about non-resistance, they give you a scenario, and they say, you know, here's your options, and you go, well, that that doesn't actually include all my options. I have other options, and if we look closely at the life of Jesus Christ, we see the other options, and so many times that is left out of the conversation. Big. So you were you touched on a little bit, Gary, of maybe what are some of the bottlenecks that keep us from being able to really communicate this message, or what are some of the things that cause us to give off an un, you know our cause our trumpet to give off an un, uncertain sound? Uh, you mentioned how you know maybe you, you grew up in a setting, um, or maybe reflecting in general on the conservative Baptist. You know we pray Republican um, and. and and I, I remember, you know, hearing this term, um, yeah, if you, you know, 
of of people within the Anabaptist world saying uh, when they were asked, "Hey, did you vote this morning?" The you know, like, "No, but I voted on my needs." You know, it's, it's kind of this hanging hang of a head. You know, no, but you know, this is what I did. You know, this is it's really important. But no, we did. I remember being so frustrated with that growing up. Uh, it's like I didn't vote because it was a Mennonite. You know, and and, and the why. For myself, I, I never caught that why, and it was just, it was just, I felt guilty about it. Um, but you're, you know, you're you're digging into this the two kingdom idea, this clear crisp um, that we're part of another nation, um, and so we, you know, we're as ambassadors, we're called to bring, you know, a piece of the home turf onto foreign soil. Um, but what are what are some ways that that doll <laughs> um, our message as ambassadors? You, you mentioned, like I said, a couple of the this idea that you know we're we, we don't vote Republican, but we you know we we pray Republican. But is there more ways, Gary, that um, cause our, our trumpet to give off off an uncertain sound in this area? Well, I think there are, and um, my answer to this one might be painful to some. That's not my goal here, but but I think one of our problems is. And the reason it's, it's hard for us to articulate clearly or even for our neighbors to understand what we're saying is because, uh, frankly, we love the American lifestyle. We, we love the prosperity that's come. Uh, yeah. We, as a, as a, you just call the Anabaptist people, have become quite prosperous, even by, by American standards. In the middle of that, it's easy to forget our identity as to who we actually are. And so... Um, instead of kingdom Christians that are that are laboring together to to demonstrate something different, we become affluent Americans who happen to dress a little different and don't go to war. And so it's like we're just like the world, but we have a few historical quirks we've kind of hung on to, and we become famous for for big businesses and, and good pies, and and we chase after uh, many times after money, after health beds, after uh, luxurious vacations. Just like everybody else, uh, we we bid up land to get to get another farm or uh, evict tenants from our properties, or uh, you can go on and on. Vehicles, our houses get larger, more lavish. But then, in the middle of all this, we try to tell our next door neighbors that we're actually part of a different kingdom here. Actually, uh, we're not actually living for this life. Um, we're following Jesus, you know. And he's the one, you know, who didn't even have a, a place to lay his head. Uh, and we're, we're, we're trying to imitate our lives after him. That's why we don't go to war. But in the middle of the whole package, something doesn't ring true with our neighbors. And we're a little sheepish about the whole thing. Like, we're not sure either what we're doing here. And I think sometimes that is our problem is, is our lives, the rest of our lives, don't line up with this profession that we're given. And so it makes it very difficult for a for an unbelieving neighbor to actually believe that we are actually, we've given up this life. We have actually given up ourselves and following Jesus. And he's looking at all of our life and saying, something about this doesn't sound right. Yeah, well, that's really sobering, <clears throat> Gary. Excuse me. And... You know, I, I wondered this morning, uh, as that young man, our employee there at Sowers, talked about his cousin who is now, who become bitter at the Anabaptist and joined something with purpose, right? Joined the military. And I don't know what made that young man bitter, but maybe it was just this, this, um, this cognitive dissidence. <laughs> You know, we say we're part of the kingdom, but yet we embrace as much as we can. It's kind of how we have our feet in both worlds. And I think that, I mean, and it's a credible accusation um, and it's sobering how so quickly we get drawn in to all the good, but we become so apathetical when it comes to actually giving back uh, to the world around us and 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 it, every person was part of a cause bigger than than themselves. And when we lose this this passion for God's kingdom and His this rival nation, as as you say, one place in your book, um, 
uh, and and don't pass it on the next generation, it, it soon begins to break down, and that that's really really sobering. Sam, I do you have any more thoughts here uh, before we kind of move on from this? I don't want to move away from this too quickly. I think um, maybe this is uh, a prophetic message of, of the book in, in in many ways, the sobering message of the book. Yeah, a couple things come to mind. Um, as a parent, we understand that there's more caught than taught, and I think that that goes into our church experience as well. Um, you can preach a message over the pulpit and get down and you know live your life, and the people are going to see the life more so than the message that's preached. Um, there was another question that came to my mind in reading this book, and that is um, that ties into this we say we have faith in Jesus Christ and yet to overhear the conversations about how to bring about change in the world where is that faith placed and I think that that's where the some duplicity comes in as well we say one thing and then the reality is you know the children are growing up in a home where politics is waged on a Sunday afternoon um, and that was a sobering question to me you know I do I have faith in Jesus Christ I do, you know, that's what my lips say, but in the conversations I have about, you know, the topic that we're talking about today, about politics, is that what's being expressed to my neighbor when he brings up an election or when he brings up a local political leader or whatever it is, because it comes up many times and it's really easy just to slide in some negative comments or, you know, and so that that question you know how do we send out a clear signal um it hits close to home very quickly yeah well let's go ahead and dig in a little bit a little bit into um maybe some of the ways that our nation um the nation of jesus uh, can be effective uh, in this world. What, what what are some of our policies, <laughs> Gary? <laughs> what what are what are some of the ethos of of the kingdom of God on earth? What are some things that we can be doing? And and in chapter um, nineteen or on page one fifty of your book here, you have some graphs that show kind of some of the continuums of from earthly nations and how they operate kind of across to the to to god's kingdom and how we operate and uh and i know that you, you drew this from some of this comes from uh you mentioned or give credit to stephen Brubick, stephen brubaker at, at faith builders and his class anabaptism anabaptism as a worldview and i had the privilege of sitting in that class a couple of years ago and it was it was really um inspired by by his teaching there and, and you pull in some of his graphs so if you'll be able to, would you be able to show some of these graphs to us? I think you're prepared to do that and kind of talk us through a little bit more specifically, you know, kind of getting into the weeds here a little bit of what does it look like for Anabaptist Christians, Kingdom Christians, those who believe that that we're of another nation, what does it look like uh, to live in our world? So go ahead. Yeah, let me let me share a um, screen here. And again, yeah, like you mentioned, Stephen Brubaker is... I took his class there at, at Faith Builders, Anabaptism as a Worldview. Very good class. I would recommend it to anyone. But on this chart, which I, I made up and kind of ran it by him to make sure I had it right, um, you'll see a continuum here between violent approaches and, and sacrificial approaches. So on the left, you have uh, violent approaches where, where we want change in our world, but others suffer pain to achieve that. Uh, it's coercive. It pushes others. Uh, forces admired. What we're after is the good of society at the expense of others. Clear on the right, we have sacrificial approaches where where I suffer the pain. Uh, you can think of Jesus, the example of Jesus on the cross here. Um, but it's attractive. It pulls others. There's something beautiful about it. It compels others. Uh, instead of force, loving service is admired. And the good of society is what we want, but it's at my expense. So I am willing to to bear the pain, whatever it takes, to actually make that happen. 
uh, it, in in sacrificial approach, we forgive so others can go free. That's even part of daily life. Uh, we are willing to to be eliminated, to be killed, so that others can see Jesus. We're willing to give our lives rather than take life. And this approach, and this approach is beautiful. It it, it attracts people. It calls people. Uh, we're willing, wanting the good of society. We're willing to suffer to achieve this. So if you take this thought then and and go over to take another continuum then and just look at at some some different ways of stopping evil. And obviously there's some ways that are used extremely violent. We think of of bombs and guns. Um, as you move over a little bit to the to the right then, uh, political activism. It's not as fast or effective, but it's it's less violent. But it's still a way of imposing my values, my desires on others. As you keep moving over, there's there's marketplace pressure. Uh, I'm not going to buy from you if you don't share my values. I'm not going to buy your product. And if enough people do that, you're going to feel the pressure here. Again, it's not as violent, but you're still using force. As you go on over, uh, pacifism. So pacifism uh, can involve sacrifice, but it's to, with the goal of achieving a political end. It might be sitting down at a mass out in front of a, a new military facility or uh, whatever it is. But it's um, here in the Pacific Northwest. There's there's times people do this to stop the logging. Maybe they'll they'll chain themselves to a tree. What's well, not hurting anybody, and yet it's attempting to impose my values forcefully on other people. It's a subtle form of force. But on the other side, then we have the kingdom of God on this continuum. And, and Jesus taught a sacrificial approach, um, overcoming evil with good. And his, draw, his goal here is to draw men to him, not to force them. And so Jesus said it looks like this, uh, loving your enemies. And, and this, this begins not by not going to war. It starts within our churches, of loving each other right within our other churches. But it also goes out to, uh, like Jesus said, his enemies... Uh, or as the soldiers there, Father, forgive them. Uh, that was his his approach to evil. We can think of examples, men like uh, Dirk Willems and others that would be examples of that. Uh, bless those that curse. Notice these are not passive responses. These are these are active. These are uh, overcoming evil with good. It's and you can think of many examples through history of of this, where early Christians allowed themselves to be killed. Uh, this happened in the in the Roman. In the Colosseum, there were gladiators where eventually Christians were, were martyred, but eventually Romans became appalled at their own baseness, their own depravity. And, and in our lives today, we do this. If my next-door neighbor is obnoxious, instead of retaliating, we take cookies to them. We take a casserole. We do something to show them love. It's a way of fighting back that actually will stop the evil. It's a powerful way to stop evil. Evil can actually be stopped with good. Um, doing good to haters, you can. There's a lot of creative ways of of doing this. These are the ways that Jesus told us to to stop evil, to, to pray for persecutors, and and even honoring leaders. This one I I think I talked about in the book is just phenomenal to me. Uh, Nero, of all people, you can't imagine a more evil man. Uh, probably the worst, one of the worst political leaders ever. Uh, I can't imagine being told to pray for him and honor him, but that's what the apostles did. Hmm. So if you take this and think about it in our own lives, what does this look like? I put together a continuum here from left to right, um, all the way from bombs and guns, clear over to loving your enemies. There's a lot of different options here. But in the middle are the areas we're not always sure about. They're the areas we wrestle with. Um, we're pretty sure about bombs and guns, maybe that, most people in America, a lot of people don't like bombs and guns. But, but what do we do about marketplace pressure and and uh, even writing to a legislature? And we don't always come out the same on these issues. And I think we need to have charity for each other uh, and even communicate in our local brotherhoods uh, about where are these lines? Where do we draw these lines? I think we need to wrestle and pray about this together. There's not like a clear line sometimes that's right or wrong. Um, maybe before I leave this, I'll, I want to leave one more major concern that I have. And I, I, I hinted at it earlier. I'll go back to a previous slide here. Um, the original one here. 
you know, on the, on the one side, there's a violent that you mentioned, Brian, about a young man going off to, to war. But you have to say this, at least that young man is willing to, to sacrifice himself for the good of his country. That there's something there that's admirable. He, he is willing to, to give of himself for the good of society. Right or wrong, he's willing to do that. Sometimes we claim to be on the sacrificial side, living for the kingdom of God. And yet, if we're taking all the good things that America gives us and not actually living that out, if we're actually chasing the American dream and, and you're not willing to defend what we enjoy, that's not very beautiful. And you have to say that at least, at least the American soldier is willing to sacrifice for a greater cause. And I think that's, that's one of the, my goals in this book is to call us back to that in our local congregations. But it affects everything. It affects how we do business, how we treat our neighbors. Uh, but Jesus intended for this collective love, this this collective sacrificial love, to be a beautiful demonstration of of who He is and, and of His power. And um, so, anyway, that's that's the uh, the call I have, I guess, to to our people today is to actually do um, what Jesus has called us called us to do. That's beautiful. Um, the answer to, you know, violence, sacrificial love, but that challenge you gave there at the end, I think there's two things that come to mind on that is you think about young people and looking for a cause, but the, the message is a little blurry, you know, this is what we teach, but we're not really living it. And if that, they will rise to a challenge. I mean, I can understand that young man wanting to go off to war because it's something bigger than himself that he's investing in. It's something um, that he is laying. His, there's, there is a sacrifice there. And if we can paint that picture clearly for the young people in our churches, that clear signal that this is a sacrifice, this is something bigger than you, that you can pour your life into and a worth a worthy cause, um, the most worthy cause. These other causes are paltry compared to this, and that is so clear. And we talked about how do we how do we get that two kingdom message to the to our neighbors? And I think the answer is here. Um, when they see sacrifice, that is shouting the message of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And you have this great story of that Israeli man there and his passion for his nation and how he was willing to sacrifice you know uh, a pretty successful life in north america and move to israel because of his love for his nation um and 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 then and just taking that and and applying that to us are we willing to sacrifice for our nation the nation of Jesus for, for for His kingdom, and that that was such a palpable, um, such so palpable, so so such a meaningful illustration and challenging one for sure, because uh, we were facing these things all the time. I and mean, my, my my son just yesterday told me, you know, why must we live on this little piece of property here in State College? Like, why can't we have a bigger piece of property so we can hunt and you know, the, you know, and, and well. Well, you know, this is where God's called us to, and and um, we want to be here and be a witness here. And of course, we're not perfect for sure in in any means by any means. Um, but it's yeah, we we need to be giving sacrifices for His kingdom. Lord help us. Um, <clears throat> another really interesting thing that you brought in here was is in chapter twenty eight, titled "Let Both Grow Together." And you pull this out of the parable of Jesus out of Matthew 13 and uh, out of the, the tares and the wheat growing together. And I'm not going to ask you to unpack this. I'm kind of, this can be kind of a cliffhanger. Um, but I, I have never thought about that parable in that way. And, it's, and, and, and some of the uh, ways you draw out some of that teaching, uh, I, it has perplexed me this parable has. And I've, I've heard people like apply it to the church that, Oh, there's going to be unsaved and some saved in the church, and that's just how it's going to be. And it, it felt like 
to me, it just felt like, wow, that was just so like a uh, kind of hit in the gut. <clears throat> um, but the way you apply this is really, really challenging and, and beautiful. And so get the book um, just for that for that chapter for sure. Okay, well, let's let's move on here. Um, I think we're we're quickly heading towards an hour. I think our goal is to try to keep us on an hour. We'll see how good we do at that. <laughs> um, okay, so, um, oh, you, you you step on some toes, brother Gary. Here, um, you know, you, you're talking a lot about this kingdom of God, right? Which is this incredible spiritual reality or a spiritual literal reality. Uh, I like to call it. But you say that in the last 10 years, there's been an explosion of voices talking about the kingdom of God. And there's that's the powerful reality of scripture and the teaching of Jesus. You say that was that was a theme of his teaching. And we have Acts ending with with the Apostle Paul, you know, preaching the kingdom of God in his rented house there. Um, and but yet you say there's a there's a dark side to this. Could you um, step on our toes a little bit on, on, on in that on on that one? Well, I probably can step on toes. I'm not sure if I want to do that. I I understand people are in all different circumstances, and so we find ourselves many times in with regard to church life in difficult places. And I think the challenge is, uh, and what I think I mentioned in the book is, I find people many times. That say they're they're kingdom Christians. They're they're living for the kingdom of God, and yet increasingly I find people who who are connecting themselves to the kingdom of God, but can't seem to find a local church that actually fits them, or maybe you could say uh, a local church that's worth submitting to. Um, and I find this amazing as I as I as I stand back and look at what I think God is wanting to do in our world because the church the local assembly is is the most powerful part of what of what god is doing from my perspective as i read the new testament that's that's where the life is that's where the power is it's it may seem insignificant it may seem totally worthless um and yet that's where our focus is to be and so uh i could go into reasons for this but i I think the illustration I use in the book, and, and again, no analogy is perfect, but I talked to, I think about uh, the armed forces. There's, I think there's six branches of the armed forces here in America that would all be classified as American armed forces. Um, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, uh, maybe a Space Force now or something like that. So when a, when a young man volunteers, when he goes in and he wants to be part of the Army, he, he wants to, to defend his country. He knows in his mind that there's more than just the army. As large as the army is, there's more than that around the world doing many things. And yet, as he as he becomes part of the army, he has to serve within a platoon. Just a, I think it's, I don't know, 15, 16 to 40 soldiers. It's a small little group, a tiny part of the army. So here he is. He's a part of the tiny, this tiny, tiny little platoon that's a little tiny part of the army which is just a small part of everything that's going on in the armed forces in America. And so he's required, even though he knows all this, he's required to submit to his sergeant, uh, probably a very imperfect man, uh, even though he's part of the larger worldwide American armed forces. But if he would try to say, well, I'm, I'm part of the armed forces, but I don't, have to, I don't want to listen to my sergeant, he would probably end up in jail. You can't do that. Mm. And so I'm not saying that that God does not use people outside of a church. I'm not. I'm not saying that God can use people around the globe in many situations. But I am saying that God's local church is His primary mode of operation, and it's little churches scattered around the globe that God is using to to effect change, to bring change. Mm. And our local church, as painful and difficult as it may be at times should still be the most important and the most exciting part of my life. It should be where my energy goes into. And our challenge is, I think, and this goes back again to politics, our challenge is, is when our local brotherhood become dysfunctional, and when there's just tension there, we feel like we're not achieving anything, 
we still have this inner desire to connect to something larger than we are. And so we will tend to join a, a parachurch organization or some mission out there or some political group. Uh, we could even be, I think, susceptible to conspiracy theories. We want to join something larger. And the, our problem is many times, now again, I don't want to put out a blanket statement that is true for everyone. There are, there are difficult situations, but I suspect that many times it's because of our culture, of our being part of an affluent American individual, individual society that causes us to not want to submit. We don't want to be under authority. And so we keep moving around trying to find some place that's actually worthy of submission to. And I think there's great danger personally in believing that we can become, we can be a, a strong part of the kingdom of God and be a kingdom Christian without working together, without struggling, without loving, without submitting to a local church. So that's the essence of what I was after is, I'm not saying a person can't do that, but I think we should be very, very careful about claiming to be part of the larger army, the, the larger nation, but not being able to submit to anyone else in our lives. I think that's a very valuable emphasis to add to this whole narrative um, it was an accusation that was leveled at us just this last weekend that you talk about the kingdom this is just a way to get away from the church to get away from um you know the local body and of course i feel i agree with you that the local body is and i've often thought of it, your brotherhood as the acid test of your christian life um you could have all the global vision and all of that you want kingdom vision but if you can't get along with the people that god has called you to get along with then you failed the test that christ laid out as a body of believers um so it's it's important that that is put out there loud and clear that this doesn't give us a a hall pass from local brotherhood this focus on the kingdom and I like that you tied it into, you know, we're talking about politics. If to have that vision of what the greater you know kingdom is, but to have healthy brotherhoods where they're not looking for things out there to go and, and invest in or to sacrifice their lives into, to have healthy local brothers bro, or uh, brotherhoods where the generation coming on sees something here that I can invest in, you know, without getting their heads turned to a political agenda or um, not saying they might not be called to go serve outside of the local brotherhood, but healthy local brotherhood um, does provide a place to sacrifice your life for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the cause of the kingdom. And I think it's very important, and I love that you included that. Yeah, I think it's important, um, and I, I want to—I'll be very clear. I'm, I'm not saying that that parachurch organizations are wrong. I work for one. I work in the Salt Program, um, but I do believe that it, it's easy for me to travel to other countries, uh, and I—I I, I travel in the Salt Program to different countries. If I listen to what all those people say about me, I can get a very convoluted view of myself. If I want to know who I actually am, I come back to my local brotherhood and they'll tell me. I have local brothers that will speak into my life because they know my, my weaknesses. They know my struggles. And so it's very important to tie ourselves, I think, to people who know us well and have, the, and have been given permission to speak into our lives and give us another perspective. Amen. I was challenged in a book I read um, last year, The Circle Maker. I can't remember the author right now. It's about prayer. Um, one of his goals that he had set was that the people closest to him would respect him the most. And at first I thought, well, that's obviously, but when you stop and think about that for a minute, um, that's where the hard work goes in, that you have those people and that's you're not untethered from a group of people and that they do respect you and know you. Yeah, well, we're we're digging into some practical things here, and so why don't we kind of start kind of moving towards wrap up? But um, brother Gary, you 
you share some things uh, in this book that you believe as as Christians of another kingdom we should be doing. So this is not about none, right? Um, um, you know, Brother John Dee has coined the term ideal resistance, uh, which I love. I love that idea <laughs> um, uh, as a positive, you know, way to put this idea of of um, abstinence from physical earthly power and putting our, our 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 belief and our allegiance into the spiritual literal kingdom of Jesus. Um, but yeah, so what are some things um, that you would like to see us as? Anabaptist Christians being involved in? And what are some ways maybe we can even challenge uh, ourselves and our churches and even other Christians uh, that's something more than maybe um, even what we're doing today, but maybe even from a historical uh, setting, which at the, at the end of the book, you you really dig into the history of Christianity going way back to the beginning and looking at how that message was so counter to the culture and at that, at that time, much like it is today. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and it deserves a whole session probably, but there are so many things we can be doing. But I want to say this in the beginning. Uh, I'll go through a few things that come to mind, but I don't want to portray that that being part of Jesus' kingdom or serving him has to be great big things from our perspective. There are many housewives right now that are that are taking care of children that need to be encouraged in that. Then sometimes it's the smallest things actually that Jesus calls us to. Um, but we are living in an amazing time and I, I can't help but just mention some of the things that I see that are just incredible for our time period right now. Uh, one of those is just simply an opportunity. And again, all of these are problems and opportunities all in one. It always, that's how God works. It's through difficulties that opportunities come. But one of those is displaced people. Uh, there's over 100 million people worldwide right now that are displaced from their homes, and many of those are living in our own neighborhoods. In other words, God has allowed people from restricted countries to come right in uh, to our own neighborhoods. So uh, if you live close to a college, for example, uh, you have opportunity to have them in your homes. Uh, there's many of them that are lonely, that come from restricted countries that on holidays have no place to go. And that's just one simple way that if you're if you're close to a a college, you can reach the, reach out and have them come into your own home. A tremendous opportunity there, and many are doing that. And others, natural disasters, um, they seem to be increasing. And it's a great way to demonstrate who Jesus is, who the character of God. I think maybe in the book I mentioned, I was recently in a restricted country, and I talked to a pastor there who, uh, he's been arrested many times, and he said his problem is his government has an improper perspective of Christianity, which I think is the same problem in America. Um, and his 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 country, the leaders there believe that Western religion will destroy their culture. And so I said, well, what do you do? How do you change your your people, your leaders, their perspective of what Christianity is? He said, well, I we work primarily through natural disasters. He said that. Whenever there is a, a natural disaster in our in our country that we know about, we rush to get there. We we're to, we try to be the first ones there to to help them out and be a blessing and share with others. And as he talked, I had to think. Well, you know, his country in many ways is so different than America. But that's one thing that is the same: is America also has a marred view of God and of Christianity. And so, when people think today of of Christianity in America. Many times they think about a well-funded political machine that's intent on forcing them to do certain things they don't want to do, uh, forcing them to change their morals. And we have a chance to show them something different uh, through through just helping out after a natural disaster, either locally or around the world. Another one I'll mention is just loneliness. A huge problem in America, uh, social media is not giving people a, a sense of belonging that they're craving. And in Luke 14, talks about followers of Jesus should invite people in that are not like us. I invite the poor, the crippled, the lame. Um, open up our homes. And I think we have to be careful with that. I think I addressed that in the book, Reaching America. But but uh, there's, there's a huge opportunity right beside us many times, just neighbors that are lonely. 
and maybe another one I'll mention is Islamic opportunity. Um, there are so many things happening right now in the Islamic world, just just awakening of, of dreams, uh, visions. And Anabaptists have a special opportunity here. Uh, we have modest dressed, we have family values that they are craving. And I would just encourage us, if you have Islamic neighbors, use, use that the blessings that we have been given to reach out to them and, and show love to them. Don't view them as obstacles, view them as opportunities. Thank you, Gary. Um, I think, too, you mentioned loneliness and you touched on that in the book and you have some stats. And I've recently read a book here um, written by actually a professor here right here at Penn State. And she says that uh, a recent Harvard study says that 61% of young people today report feelings of serious loneliness. And it's like, you know, this, this it's a loneliness that can be described almost like you don't have food and water. Like it's it, it is a it's, it's serious. It, it is a it is a, uh, a almost a physical, not only a mental, spiritual, but like a physical issue, and um, which has inspired us uh, to think, try to think of ways that we can reach more people here who are suffering with loneliness. Um, so, yeah, thank you for for pointing those those things out. Um, we're we're gonna move towards wrap up here. Um, but Sam, did you have any other questions for Brother Gary? I think that's, um, we've covered a lot of the topics that um, stood out to me in the book. Um, I found the book, I didn't actually get it all read before today. Um, I found it deeply inspiring. And again, I want to point out that you not only say that, you know, why this is a, isn't a good idea to get involved in politics or, you know, I love the question, where are you getting the results? Or what would it look like if we put Christians into power? I think that's a, a powerful thing to stop and think about. What are the results we're looking to get? And um, I thought that was a very valuable question. And I don't know if you have anything to say on that. No, I, I think I remember right. I had a section called the "What if we What if we got what we wanted?" Right. Yeah. And. We have examples of that in history of of times when the church, uh, when when actually uh, there were Christian leaders, if you want to call them that, in positions of power. But those tend to be the darkest times in history. It actually mm -hmm. when the church was underneath, when the church was was below, working from within, that the church is, has actually shined the brightest. And in the times when the church was on top and pressuring people was when it was the darkest. Yeah. I think that's very valuable to zoom out and get a, a broad picture again. What are we actually looking? What impact are we actually trying to have on the societies that we live in? And it's uh, it helps put some of these things into perspective. And you touched on time. We feel like everything's so urgent. We need it to happen right now. And so we resort to whatever method is at hand to try to bring about the results that we want to bring about. And again, to slow things down, step back and get a, a broader picture and try to refocus. Um, it can help us with some clarity on the issue of politics for sure. So brother Gary is this 20, uh, 2024 election season for those of, those of us in the United States, is that an obstacle? Or an opportunity. <laughs> Good question. I, I think it's an opportunity. I, I think we should be speaking well. We should be refraining from getting down in the middle of pointing out flaws in others, uh, using it as an opportunity. Um, frankly, and I don't. I want to be careful how I say this, but I think a lot of the American public is disillusioned right now. Uh, they look at the options they have, who they're going to vote for. They're not even sure what to do. And so I think I think God is setting us up for some some good conversations out there of what is God trying to do and what is the answer to our problems and I I I just threw out a, a situation happened on the airplane just the other day with me I was I was sitting by a woman and she started in she was very well dressed she started talking talking about just the 
just all the problems in our world and the fighting, and she's so sick of fighting. And and so I asked her about her her faith, and she said, "Well, I'm a I'm Catholic, but I also practice Buddhism." And I said, "Well, would you mind telling me how do you get Jesus and Buddha together? How do you do that?" So she said, "Well, Catholicism is my religion, but Buddha is my way of life." And so I asked her, I said, well, tell me this, is it possible that what you like about Catholicism is is the forgiveness of Jesus, but what you like about Buddhism is is actually non-resistance, is not fighting? She said, well, that's exactly right. And I said, well, do you know what Jesus said about fighting, about war? She said, well, I go to church. And I said, well, that's not really what I asked you. What I asked you was, do you know what Jesus actually said? And she didn't. And I started just telling her what Jesus said, and she got excited. I gave her some literature ahead and passed along. She was a wealthy lady out of the Bay Area in California, uh, but it just struck me that our message today is very relevant. People actually want what Jesus has. They may not be willing to pay the cost to get it, but we have a message that actually is very relevant in our day. Amen. Amen. I can list off so many um so many uh, instances and occasions, uh, somewhat the same um, light bulb moment for people. And I know that uh, there's many listeners here too who, through the last you know eight years of the political scene here in the U.S., have become kingdom Christians or are heading in that direction because you know it, when their church um, has a nationalistic service, you know the week before the elections um, or or whatever, it, it it just they're like, wow, would Jesus do this? And uh, and I think um, Gary that you have a little book that come out coming out through Cam. I think you told me it's like is it called the five things Jesus did not do? And let's yeah, it's called yeah. it's called what Jesus refused to do. It's a, okay. a small book, but my intent is to have something just to give to to people who already believe in Jesus but are confused on this issue. Yeah, sure. yeah well, to our listeners here, we'll make sure that we. Um, you know, once that comes available, uh, that we'll get that out as well. I think uh, I know I'm going to want a stack of those uh, because yes, the, uh, the 2024 season is an opportunity um, to talk about uh, the kingdom of God and the beauty of it and give purpose not only to ourselves but to others as well. So, um, is there any other resources <clears throat> that you could point people to? You know, as you as you prepare to read this, you have a lot of a, a lot of notes. Um, uh, re- other resources that you might recommend uh, as people grapple with this subject, Eric. Yeah, th- there are lots of lots of resources. I hate to even mention it because I'm afraid of leading some out. Um, that's how it always is. But I'll just mention a couple here. I just yeah. finished again uh, Stephen Russell's new book. Or it's it's a revisal in overcoming evil God's way. Very good yes. at uh, at teaching from a historical perspective. There's, there's several others. Um, Myth of a Christian Nation, Gregory Boyd. It's older, but it's still a very good book. Um, another one, Beauty Will Save the World, uh, Ryan Zond. I think I, I maybe referenced that in the book. And there's others by Anabaptists, um, Pilgrims in Politics, Michael Martin, uh, In God We Don't Trust, David Brousseau. But but really, just go back and read the, the, the words of Jesus. I mean, there, there's so much in the Gospels that deal with this topic. Um so that's yeah. There's 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 many more early Christian writings. There's a lot there too. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, um, Brother Gary. And I'm going to throw an off-topic question at you now, and that is, uh, what kind of advice do you have for um, amateur writers? So you've obviously written quite a bit in your life, and um, with Strength to Strength, we you know we published a couple of new books by authors who had never written before. And uh, there's, I think there's a sense across the, the Anabaptist world there needs to be more writing, more books. Uh, our people are reading a lot of books by, by Protestants, and there's, um, there's definitely, uh, it, it can be difficult to know how to eat, eat the meat and spit out the bones. And, um, and so, yeah, what are, what are some, uh, some points that, that you might have uh, for, for people who, who want to write or who are dreaming of writing? Um, and then maybe even, even some practical ways how to keep writing. So, hey, I'm not sure how to answer this exactly. I I never thought I would be writing books. Uh, I started writing 
because of the SALT program, writing for um, developing country where there was need there. And then Christian Aid Ministries saw that writing and said, well, the Anabaptists need some of this too. And I, I argued for a while saying, I'm not a, an author. I can maybe write for Haiti, but I, I can't write anything that someone here it's, would read. Uh, but I do, I, I would encourage anyone to go ahead. I just got a message here yesterday from a, from an individual who is just starting a book. And, um, I think it is, it is important, uh, to write in a way that pulls people. We are living in a time where people are, there's a lot of video happening, a lot of uh, YouTube, and it's hard for people to even read books. In fact, thick books scare people uh, because they don't have time for it. And so I've noticed that change in the last 10 years. People really like small books. So don't don't think about needing to write a huge book. If you're going to write something, write something that's, that's small, concise. Uh, but there are publishers out there that, in the Anabaptist world that would be glad to, to talk to someone who has an interest in it. Um, and I probably wouldn't go too far writing until you do check with some of them to make sure your style actually fits uh, what they think will sell. With, yeah, thank you. Gary, uh, I appreciate that. And thank you for being uh, a good example of somebody who is stewarding the gifts that God has given them <clears throat> and even willing to allow others to help you see Maybe some a gift that you, you didn't know was there, and that that's very beautiful. All right, well, we're going to wrap this up. Um, so, Gary, thank you for joining us. Anything that you want to say here? Um, any last comments? Uh, well, thank you for for giving me the opportunity. I, I would just say I want to remind us that our role as kingdom believers is not to to protest or force our world into some kind of, of moral compliance uh, using political or cohesive or even violent means. Um, rather, our purpose is to demonstrate something that's beautiful, that's compelling, that pulls people in. And and we won't see a completion of that in, in our world, in our time, until Jesus comes. But I think I used the example of a sunrise coming on. Uh, we are seeing little glimpses today. We're seeing it in in our local churches, I see it around the globe and little churches scattered all over. And I just want to encourage all of us to work locally, love sacrificially. Um, and our task is through his strength to advance the kingdom of Christ. And I would propose that everything else is a distraction. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. May God's kingdom come and may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So thank you to the listeners here. Uh, may God bless you as you go and work out this bright in your home, church, and community for God's glory. Again, you can go to our website at strengthofstrength.org to purchase this book, Sidetracted, or to CAM, Christian Aid Ministries, uh, as well. They are the publisher of this book. Um, and you can also, if you don't have access to the internet, you can email us at contact at strengthofstrength.org. Um, we do have a flyer we can fax or email to you, um, and, and and you can look at our offerings on there as well. So again, thank you for joining, and grace and peace. <laughs>